Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. And Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Louisiana, featuring the card accepted by doctors in all 50 states. Information available at bcbsla.com or Twitter, hashtag TopDoctors. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, LLC. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Commander's Palace Restaurant for another edition of Out to Lunch, the show about New Orleans business. When we talk about the new business environment in New Orleans, we're usually referring to the intangible, uh, confidence and optimism, or the, or the influx of new entrepreneurs. But in parts of the city, as a result of the events of 2005, the actual physical business environment is changing, and none more radically than along Ferret Street and in Mid-City. My guests on Out to Lunch today are leading the charge in the redevelopment of these business environments. Greg Enslin is the founder of the Ferret Market, and uh, Greg, welcome to Out to Lunch. Hey, good afternoon, and thanks for the invite to uh, lunch. And Joseph Wright is the president of the Greater Mid-City Business Association. Uh, Joseph, great to have you here. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. Joseph, Mid-City was hit particularly hard by the aftermath of uh, Hurricane Katrina, and building business back has meant a lot of literal building. Uh, the two biggest projects to date are the new medical district and the retail development on Carrollton Avenue. During this process, there's been a lot of talk about maintaining the unique character of Mid-City, which everyone seems to agree is essential but building the medical district has seen blocks of houses leveled, businesses shut down, entire streets removed, and members of the community displaced. The new mall in Carrollton opened with great fanfare, but just a few years ago, a development like this would have been regarded as a, a travesty, a suburbanization of Orleans Parish. How involved are you in these developments, and how much control does an organization of local businesses like yours have over this kind of large-scale change? Do you have a lot of input in all this? Well, we don't. We don't have a lot of input, but uh, together with the Mid-City Neighborhood Organization, we do. You're right. It, it's a question of um, how do we make Mid-City uh, a great neighborhood to live in without turning it into like a, a veteran's boulevard. So, but you, you think know, it's possible? It, yeah, I, I do think it's possible because if you, if you look at one of the great things about New Orleans is, is that there's an idea sort of like Paris that everything you need should be within a 12 block area and you can drive or walk. And every store that's opened up in the market has just, has just been doing great, great business. So there's a need for it. And you do have some local folks in there. You've got uh, Felipe's and right. uh, Jefferson Pink Feed. Pink Ferry. And, yep, absolutely. And Greg, Ferret Street was turning into a commercial wasteland before Katrina. Uh, more storefronts seem to be getting boarded up all the time and it had a reputation as a bad neighborhood. Uh, today there are blocks of booming businesses, high-end pizza, gourmet burgers, designer hot dogs, music clubs, a bike shop, and even a pet groomer. Now the ball's rolling, development is happening quickly, but how did you convince the early adopters, the first businesses, that this dump was gonna be rocking someday? A lot of the story of Ferret comes out of finding the silver lining on a cloudy day. Is uh, the neighborhood, had, the business district, had run down for a long time, and uh, but there's still a lot of residents there who remembered when, or there were people that were in the neighborhood pre-storm who said, "We can have something better, but how do we do it?" And out of all those 
mind-numbing, tedious community meetings. We came out, there was a core of people says, wait, we can make this better, but if we wait for a city directive or we wait for FEMA, this is not going to happen in our lifetimes. Maybe our kids will have some joy. <laughs> so uh, community leaders, uh, because we had an active neighborhood association and we um, reestablished the business association back there post-Katrina, we had two organizations uh, of people that are already embedded in the neighborhood says, let's make things better. And we were able to lay out our you know, 15 year plan. What do we want to see? Some new street lights, more businesses, more businesses open at night. Maybe we get the street paved. Um, have some more homeowners, have some more people living on the street, get the bars off the windows. We hit 11 of our 13 points of the 15 year plan in four and a half years. Uh, it really went kaboom. Uh, and some of the development, some of the physical work started just pre-Katrina and uh, continued post-Katrina out of the obvious necessity of restoring these flooded buildings. But one of the symbols that came along that a lot of people latched onto was um, the first sort of high-scale, high-end, different type of business. Uh, Neil Bodenheimer brought Cure to sure. Ferret Street, and this was, it was part of the plan, that but not one. Guts. It's not one we'd expected. So he came and talked with us. Neil, this would be a great idea. Come on in five years. He says, no, I'm doing it now in the old firehouse. I said, dude, you're going to be in so much trouble. Um, but he said, no, I see it. It's coming. And he really jumped in with both feet and said, people are going to open their eyes coming down Ferret Street, which was one of our goals. People used to just speed through the neighborhood, getting from Nashville to Poitras. And with uh, the Ferret Market, with Friday Night Fights, and then with Cure, here's a reason to stop and check out Ferret Street and go, it's not so bad, nobody slashed my tires, I didn't get mugged, um, and oh wait, my, my grandmother got her, got her wedding cake over here. Now people love telling those stories. People love to say, oh, we used to go here, or when you were a kid, or I got your school uniform here. Uh, when there's a historic connection, it really gives us great traction in bringing neighborhoods back around. We're stealing every idea you came up with. <laughs> you know, we're doing everything we really? want to do. Yeah, oh, we want to do a monthly um, you know, festival, not a festival, but a monthly market. And uh, we're talking to Jason Coleman of Old New Orleans Rum about doing um, something once a year in Mid-City. So everything y'all do, you can just send me the, ahead of time. I could. <laughs> well, it, it, it's all open source stuff we developed and, you know, didn't come up with any breathtaking fresh ideas. But we said, hey, this worked in other it places, all let's give it a try. But something I, I do want to ask you is, um, and I've been telling everybody this, so if you could disagree with me, it'd be great. <laughs> but that, uh, the, you all put... Um, security cameras, it's a nice way to say crime cameras, I think on eight straight blocks. The lady who owns Zeus, um, the, the um, dog grooming place, told me, and I think that had a big uh, impact on your turnaround because when, you know, obviously when criminals know they're on camera, they, you know, so. They dress better. I think it's very important. <laughs> Certainly that's something we've done there as to whether that's had a, that's been a large part of the decline and the the different idea about what's happened with crime in the neighborhood. It's probably contributed to it, but you know, I don't know that New Orleans criminals are that smart that, you know, if anybody's looking, we have cameras up and down that street and we have a lot of criminals that a whole to this show, lot of like things that have happened <laughs> in the neighborhood. Somebody it's, it's so been seen it and stopped and identified. It certainly helped us in being able to storytell that, oh, this guy who robbed that, that store, we right. caught him in a couple minutes. You know, right. This guy who did this right. heinous thing, well, we found them in a couple hours. So it's, it's helped us. It's been a tool that internally we know that whatever happened, somebody saw it, and we're going to catch up with this perpetrator. And but great. you think that the foot traffic was really, I mean, more and more as uh, more and more people came in, it kind of... Okay. Certainly more, more people on the block, more people out at legitimate businesses at night. It's more people on your back that 
you know, you don't have to pay for it, it doesn't cost anything, and it's to everybody's benefit that all the moves have been going there. I'm going to ask you, uh, you know, a question here. We have something called a checklist where we ask you a question that you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. So <laughs> they, uh, I'm going to start with you, Jessica. In your current capacity, in, the, in terms of the association, what's the best day you've had? You know, to be honest with you, I know it's corny, but it's today because I just uh, on the because way here. Because of the here, free lunch or the yeah, is, and, is, uh, uh, the garlic bread. Uh, <laughs> no, the, um, actually, on the way here, I stopped at uh, the notorious or hopefully formerly notorious Capri Motel, and Project Nola installed uh, crime cameras in the courtyard and the exterior. And the guy who owns uh, Avery's, which is just a little over, like a block over. Um, same old thing. People said, uh, I know you make great food. There's no way I'd come there. It's Tulane Ave. And now um, the crime's already dropped pretty significantly. We put up uh, Latoya Cantrell paid or arranged for lights to be put up uh, at night. So it's just, you know, that's, that's pretty exciting. I think that the Project NOLA cameras are going to turn Tulane around. I really do. And a, and a big part of that is the, the public's uh, impression that these cameras are making things better and right. you know if you dream about it, you think about it enough it will happen right and so you know the camera itself isn't doing much but the understanding and the perception that this camera is just another tool it's another thing helping us out well, it's we could make, really gonna turn it around be very popular if we took out the traffic cameras and turned them into crime cameras and we <laughs> solve, solve both of those things <laughs> well, the, the thing is that um, project nola monitors is a nonprofit, and it monitors these cameras for free so if there's uh, a um, a crime in that area, the NOPD will call them and say, do you have footage? And so they've helped them solve hundreds of crimes. And so if people have existing cameras, they monitor it for nothing. So it's great. That's, I think they're- That's terrific. Now, yeah. Greg, what about yourself? Uh, you had a, you've had wore a few different hats in this uh, Fret Street uh, group here. What's been the, the best day you've had? Wow, it would be, it happened about a year ago. Uh, my partner, Michelle, you mentioned who owns Zeus's Place, the dog boarding and grooming. She's also one of the founders of Ferret Market. And back in the early days, those community meetings, we'd been going, we live in the neighborhood. Uh, she lives two blocks off on one side of Ferret. I live two blocks off on the other. And we're going, we've got young kids. They're going to be, you know, going out to restaurant age very soon. There's not a restaurant we can walk to. When can we get a place to go out to and have a restaurant, a meal with our families? And where can we go hang out at night? And it was uh, actually the soft opening of the public house. Uh, oh, yeah. Back earlier, early part of this year when it's like, Michelle, we're out after dark. We've had a meal on the street and look at this. And there's, you know, 400 people cruising the street. Uh, it really was just a watershed from... Uh, the tumbleweeds of 2006 and 7 uh, to, oh my God, look at all these people out having a great time on Ferret Street. That is, that's true. And you know, being right so close to Loyola and Tulane, I mean, you've got, you know, those, pe those people have stayed away for years, but I mean, that's not the case anymore. That's when, uh, when I got to New Orleans in 1984, uh, the cover of the, back cover of the Tulane Student Handbook says, come on, welcome to New Orleans and talking about the neighborhoods and talking about the Ferret neighborhood only to the point that you can go down to Friar Tucks, which is the college right, bar in the second block of Ferret, and it says, don't go beyond there. <laughs> and uh, it's been such a dramatic turnaround, and it's caught the attention of people that uh, in the last two years, we've had a feature article or one of the covers that says, Ferret Street, the place where you ought to go. So it's, it's a real, real dramatic turnaround in, in, uh, in a relatively short time. Well, you guys both have a lot to be proud of. You know, we're going to uh, check the inbox, and that's where our producer picks a question that's come in over the past week uh, from a listener. Grant, what have you got? Peter, today we got a question for both of our guests from Catherine Bennett-Curtis, who wrote to us on Facebook, and asked this question, which is actually sort of simplistic but important. 
Why is it important that these advances continue in the Ferret Street Mid-City area, and what effect will that have on residents? Yeah, that's a good question. We can I got that. Yeah, we've been at it for a while, and what we're seeing is trying to find methods for improving everybody's lives around there, and a rising tide lifts all boats. And in Ferret, we've had a lot of abandoned, blighted buildings that everybody thinks is a problem, and that's both commercial buildings and residential stuff back in the neighborhood. So as developers come in, both small-scale and medium-scale developers come to these neighborhoods and repair these blighted, abandoned housing that are a problem for everybody. You can have some renewal without really having any displacement. Uh, and until we've run out of abandoned buildings to renovate, which we're still several years away, um, hopefully we're not going to have that displacement and that um, discomfort of renewal. So, uh, and I think Mid-City, uh, though there has been a, uh, you know, a big kick in the crotch from um, the neighborhood that had to be removed for the hospital, there's going to be there's going to be a rising tide in that neighborhood for a great long time. That yeah. is your neighborhood. What do you, what do you want to say about it? Well, um, I was um, I think that that two lane Ave is uh, they're going to do a ten million dollar uh, facelift on it. And they're going to uh, cut it down to two lanes in each direction, and it's going to uh, begin to stop you know to transform it from a highway. Uh, I want to see it to look a lot more like Magazine Street or at least Canal Street. They're going to widen the neutral ground, and hopefully one day they'd have a streetcar service, but. You know, Tulane is kind of the, the wild west of Mississippi. It ought to be a two-lane. There you Not go. Not a three-lane. Yeah, like instead three of three-lane. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but no, it, uh, I, I think that Tulane needs to be kind of managed, and, and we need to get the right business in there. But, you know, as you were talking about the hospitals that are going to be done in 2016, um, you know, we need to have more than just a busy thoroughfare going past. We need to have, you know, a lot of bars and restaurants and, and shops and, and even, you know, another grocery or something that people can go... Again, in the New Orleans model, they can just walk a few blocks and get what they need safely. Um, so I think that that's what's important. Um, there's still um, the crime. We have a mid-city security district, and the crime has dropped pretty significantly with that. But we have a ways to go. And you know, just as you were saying, we don't want to displace people. You know, we think that uh, everybody's property value can go up. And um, we work with Comiskey Park to you know kind of give the low-income kids a, a place to exercise and, and just do a lot of things. So, you know, it's, I think the changes that are coming hopefully will be good for everybody. That's our hope. What do you think the ripple effect's going to be from, uh, to you guys, from the hospital? Um, well, I mean, already, the, I live in Mid-City, so the house, the, the house values are going up pretty dramatically. Um, and I think it's going to bring, um, we have more taxes coming in, you know, we can do more things. I think it's going to, um, the, the thing I like about it is, is that there's, there's a, a block, the next block from me has a beautiful house and no one's lived there for 15 years. It's in great shape. And now people are gonna come in and say, if I have to fly to Wyoming uh, and find the owner, I'm gonna do it. And I gotta have this house. And so it's, it's sort of a market cure of blight on some level. And I think that's, that's gonna be good because a lot of people moved away and they, they've never come back. And so why are there empty houses in Mid-City and any, you know, anywhere around New Orleans? That's a great way to put a market cure for blight that, you know, as you invite more businesses and more people in, they're going to be needing and demanding services that at some point in, in Ferret, we're going to reach uh, critical mass where instead of having, you know, 110 empty houses in the neighborhood, there's only a couple. And that means there's now 4,000 families here and they need, they need kids' shoes. And there's going to be demand for 
to putting pressure on the last abandoned business buildings that are in the neighborhood. And it will be a signal call for um, some retailer to come in and fill that need, fill that niche. Um, so as more people come back, you know, the neighborhood supports and demands services. And the, and the business corridors in our neighborhoods will provide those services and reinforce the need and the desirability of the residences. Greg, when you take an old area like you have on Ferret Street, um, you know, for instance, across from Hi-Hatton and Cora, those buildings really haven't been redeveloped yet. Is it, uh, what happens during a process like this? I mean, you've got to get people on board that maybe haven't signed up for the renovation yet? or um, It probably happens in other communities across the country, but I'm most familiar with it in Ferret. There's people who seem intrinsically and possibly genetically opposed to change. And I've owned this blighted building since Vic Skira was mayor. And by gum, that's what I know how to do, and that's all I'm going to do. And it's like, wait a minute, but you're getting zero income on this. You could put a tenant in there. You'd have $200 a month. You could sell it to this guy over here for a half million dollars. No, I own blighted buildings, and that's what I do. And unfortunately, people are stuck in that. They're not, there's not, a, they're not motivated by business or good sense or don't even take a wider view of their impact on the community. It's just that change is so fearful to some people, and maybe legitimately so, but when there's been so much of an upside to you know, letting go of blighted buildings, you would think that everybody would go, God, maybe, maybe I can enjoy this before I die if I let it go. Um, but it's really tough to change. We call them cave people, citizens against virtually everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, good. You know, now it's our time to, pe to pay it forward. Now, that's where we ask our guests to generously use their experience and expertise to help up-and-coming entrepreneurs. And today's startup is Louisiana Lost Land Environmental Tours, and it comes to us from the business incubator of Propeller. Lost Lands is not just a new business. It's a whole new type of business, an L3C. That's a low-profit limited liability corporation, which is kind of a, a hybrid between a, a for-profit and a not-for-profit. Uh, it has some of the protections of an LLC, and yet it, it's, in its entire goal is not just on the profit side. There's social good as part of the, uh, part of the equation. Um, Lost Lands is a tour business with a purpose to educate people about the destruction of Louisiana's coast by guiding kayak trips through endangered cypress swamps, home to alligators, turtles, owls, and eagles. Tour guides includes uh, Pulitzer Prize winning reporter Bob Marshall, um, you all remember him from the Times Picayune, and Lindsay Pick, uh, producer of the PBS series Category 5 Wetlands Watch. Now, co-owners Lindsay Pick and Marie Gould say that as a business that is also trying to do advocacy, the new L3C classification is great for lost lands, but it's so new that foundations who they'd expect to invest from on the advocacy side are not up to speed on them, and they're simply not uh, throwing money at the project. Uh, uh, Greg, Joseph, you also straddle the line between physical environment and the business environment. What direction would you point uh, Louisiana Lost Lands? It's certainly a, a great idea, but the two things that I keep thinking of is, you know, how do they better explain this LC3 situation they're in? Uh, we'll start with that first. Uh, well, uh, the first thing I would do, I looked at their website, and it's great. I would contact Outside Magazine, because they're and, and, and other you know publications like that. So the people coming into New Orleans are going to want to come in and say, I got to go with these these two to do this great tour. It sounds like their question is somewhat organizationally, how do we do this? And there's a couple of organizations in a similar vein doing public, public benefit stuff like you are. Two of them that come to mind is 
Three Ring Circus Productions and The Big Top. Uh, it's known as an art gallery and um, performance space, but they've also got an arts and education mission. They, uh, even though the two entities are somewhat related, they're split legally and they have slightly different boards of directors who are going after stuff for the foundation and going after stuff for the performance space. Uh, and I believe uh, Mothership Productions and the Mothership Foundation that put on the Bayou Boogaloo is a similar one that we've got this public uh, event that we put on, but we've also got a mission behind what we do. And um, I believe those agencies, again, have two different teams and two different boards that are uh, working on a similar mission, but they have different goals and, and legal means by which they've got to achieve it. So talk with those guys and the people with those organizations are very accessible, very open and welcome to share their ideas. If they could focus on, we are the best damn kayak tour company in these swamps and we have a byproduct and a side effect that you're going to learn about what happened here and how to preserve it. And so, you know, on the bus ride on your way out there, it, you're talking adventure, and on the way back after people have seen us, did you like that? Well, we're going to lose it. Here's how you can help out. Those are great ideas. Thank, thank you both very much. Greg, Joseph, uh, you're both changing the face of this city. Uh, your contributions to New Orleans are going to live with us a long time in the bricks and mortar as well as the creation of jobs and community. Uh, thanks for everything you're doing for the city, and of course, thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. No, thank you. It was great. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, Greg. It's been great to see you and your crew out here and uh, <laughs> this fine staff bringing this excellent meal to us. Thanks a lot. <laughs> They're not done yet either. This is going to be great. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Greg Enslin. He's the founder of the Fret Market, and Joseph Wright, uh, president of the Greater Mid-City Business Association. To find out more about what's going on in Mid-City or on Ferret Street, follow the links on our sites, wwno.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Dr. Cliff Brigden is our digital guru. The ever-lovely Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get this show as a podcast, and you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on Facebook and Twitter by going to our websites, itsneworleans.com and wwno.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Eris Studio monitors, and more. More information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at PreSonus. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. I look forward to meeting you again next week on Out to Lunch here on the table at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Louisiana. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, LLC.